the good news is within healthcare workers, uh, they are data driven. And so throughout the entire vaccination campaign, um, we have uh, published our own data and our own experience. So uh, all of the employees that went through the vaccine campaign got surveyed. We published what side effects that they were experiencing. We published what this was doing. We, we uh, now, after many months, published data on how many of those employees have then become COVID positive. We have showed um, this kind of data on a consistent basis so that uh, all of our employees can, can see that. And so I think that one part of this is to make sure that folks understand that our data that we're collecting locally is only validating what the manufacturer said was going to happen anyway. Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series, addressing business concerns we face today. Join AM's Healthcare Industry Group as they talk to health system CEOs on their journey in the post COVID 19 world. In part one of our series, we hear mandate perspectives from two CEOs, as well as legal expertise on the challenging decision of employee vaccination. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Larry Kaiser, a managing director with Alvarez and Marcel, and uh, we're very pleased to have some distinguished guests with us uh, for this podcast. First, Suresh Ganesakaran, who's the CEO of the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Also by Kevin Mahoney, the CEO of the University of Pennsylvania Health System in Philadelphia. And Rick Zoll, the chair of the King and Spalding Healthcare Transactional and Regulatory Practice. Suresh, I know there's been a lot of controversy around the country about mandating vaccination, and you chose not to mandate vaccination for your employees. Can you tell us a little bit about what went into that decision and how things are going? Uh, we uh, have not mandated uh, vaccination for our staff. Um, we do not uh, require a, a flu vaccine. Um, we, we do do the uh, if you are not vaccinated, you wear a mask um we are we this is an important part of our culture and this is an important part of how we work with our employees uh we think the facts are the facts i mean the facts are undeniable that vaccination is better for the community it's better for our staff it's better for our patients um we speak with one voice on that but uh, we have a voluntary uh, flu vaccination campaign and that traditionally achieves over 97 98 percent compliance in a voluntary manner um, presently, just over 90% of our employees are COVID vaccinated in a voluntary campaign, and it continues to inch up as the year goes through. We are confident that we can achieve the same level of vaccination with the COVID vaccine as we do with the flu. Uh, but we think that uh, we, we have some more work to do, um, and we continue to have a very active campaign uh, to convince our staff to do that. Um, we continue... Uh, to, to do that on multiple fronts. But as of right now, it's not a mandate. So you chose not to mandate it because you don't mandate the flu vaccine. How have you gotten the word out? Is it something you send it out uh, in an email? You have town hall meetings. How have you gotten the word out? Obviously, it's out there that vaccination is important, and one would think healthcare workers would understand that. So how have you disseminated the information Visa, by virtue of the fact you're not mandating it, but you're encouraging, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, what we're facing with, with our employees on a smaller scale is the same thing that the nation is facing in terms of a trend towards certain populations having vaccine hesitancy. And so the real question becomes, how do we overcome that hesitancy? 
the good news is within healthcare workers, uh, they are data driven. And so throughout the entire vaccination campaign, um, we have uh, published our own data and our own experience. So uh, all of the employees that went through the vaccine campaign got surveyed. We published what side effects that they were experiencing. We published what this was doing. We, we uh, now, after many months, publish data on how many of those employees have then become COVID positive. We have showed um, this kind of data on a consistent basis so that uh, all of our employees can, can see that. And so I think that one part of this is to make sure that folks understand that our data that we're collecting locally is only validating what the manufacturer said was going to happen anyway what the CDC was going to happen anyway. So being an academic medical center, we are locally validating what uh, has been published in, in, um, in evidence. And I think that's a really important part. It helped also that we were in the original Pfizer trial. We were one of the 18 Pfizer clinical trial sites. And so, uh, again, uh, highlighting some of the individuals that were in that trial um, amongst our employees uh, really also helped as well. So I think that's a, an important piece. Second piece is Mythbusters, because, you know, really, truly, I think the remaining 10% believe that they have information from other sources that causes them to be hesitant. Um, and I think that we have to continue to refute uh, some of those things. And that's an active campaign that happens through social media. It happens through email. But what our uh, approach has been the same as through our flu vaccine is to have our own employees talk to our own employees so that they can hear it from their own voices and and uh, move the needle on that. Um, and I think that that's going to be an important piece. And the final thing is we continue to ask people, what's holding you, holding you back? And we actually believe that a substantial number of our employees will be very much influenced by coming off of emergency use authorization. That if there is full approval, I think that's going to significantly move the needle. I also think that um, as we move towards children being vaccinated and folks feeling like this is is really there, I think that's been an issue. And then our final issue, honestly, has been a lot of what I would call vaccine shopping. Um, I think a lot of folks are trying to figure out which of the available vaccines is the right one for them, and they are not going to get the vaccine until that truth is determined. And um, I will just say that only a healthcare workforce uh, you know, we'd, we'd get to that level of sophistication, but some of the hesitancy has been the risk reward around a perception that one vaccine may be better than another vaccine. And I want to see how this shakes out. Um, we've seen some interesting data. Vaccine compliance amongst our employees that are over the age of 50 is significantly above the 90%. So we're also seeing that the demographic resistance of this seems to be in what we would call the relatively younger part of our workforce. And so I think people are also doing an interesting risk reward analysis um, there. Um, but uh, this has been a real journey and uh, there, our work is still cut out for us. We, we still are, have the same goal, which is uh, uh, to get uh, close to a hundred percent vaccination. So our, our campaign remains active. So do you know who those, if, if you say that about 90, 91% that's what I found as well, if your hospital is vaccinated, do you know who the 10% are and are you, are you specifically focusing on those? Are you able to do that? We do uh, um, respect uh, the personal privacy decision of our employees. And so we do not send targeted communications to those that are not vaccinated. 
Uh, we use the data on a de-identified basis to plan our strategy, but we do not uh, use the information that we have to specifically, as an example, target mailings just to the folks that we know that we have not that have not gotten this. Part of this is to maintain a culture of trust and uh, maintain a culture of safety at the same time. And we think that it begins with respecting our employees' individual desire um, uh, to, to manage their own healthcare decision, to make a deeply personal decision. And so uh, we use the general data to identify what kind of messages we should get out, um, what kinds of concerns we should get out, uh, we should explain, but we don't use it for, you know, targeted uh, to the person type approaches. You, you mentioned the emergency use authorization, and I'm going to get to Rick in a couple of minutes, but I want to go to Kevin first. Kevin, you and a significant number of your colleagues across the country have mandated that all of your employees be vaccinated. What percent of your workforce currently has been vaccinated? When is the deadline or has it already passed? What do you do with those who refuse? Um, how are you monitoring it? And what what would qualify someone for a waiver for that matter? Mm -hmm. What would yeah. somebody have to say in order to be waived from getting the vaccine in a place where it's mandated? Yeah. And for that matter, the university writ large has mandated it as well. Right. And I want to get back to Suresh about the University of Iowa. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. So we we made the decision. I I, I admire. Suresh being able to get to that high level of compliance uh, voluntarily, it's it's so impressive. Um, we, we decided to mandate for new hires July 1st, for current employees uh, September 1st. And, and we continue to, to march forward towards those dates. It, it was primarily our patients were calling. Uh, I, I'm immunocompromised. I have cancer. I, I have an inflammatory disease. How do I know the phlebotomist drawing my blood? is not, uh, um, has been vaccinated. That coupled with the, the messenger RNA vaccine was developed at Penn uh, over 23 years ago. And, you know, we, ha we have great faith that it is safe. And, and you know, although the EUA is pending, I, I don't think any vaccine has gone through this many arms, this many patients uh, with as few uh, side effects. So we, we were extremely confident that this was the right step. And then lastly, as the largest private employer in, in, uh, in Philadelphia and, and second in the Commonwealth, you know, we, we thought it was important that we lead uh, for public health uh, reasons. We all have the same goal. Shares is getting there voluntarily. We, we decide to make it mandatory. The compliance, Larry, on uh, September 1st includes religious exemptions, includes uh, um, uh, medical exemptions, the religious exemption, you know, it's six pages. You, you fill it out. Um, it, it is evidence-based, you know, it, um, but if uh, the employee's belief, um, they, they are granted the exception, same on the, the, the clinical side. The number one, and again, very similar to Sharice, the number one uh, are the younger uh, uh, female employees of childbearing age and worried about the inflammatory response. And, you know, we have a, 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 a group of medical professionals that will go through and grant those exceptions. If you're granted the exception and um, we, we, we would reassign you, so maybe an OR nurse becomes a revenue uh, integrity 
uh, coder until um, you know they're they're through. So that that would be if you're in a critical position that we can't replace, you would get weekly uh, biweekly testing. Hmm. So you wear the mask, but everybody's wearing the mask, but you'd have the additional uh, testing uh, protocol. And um, you know we're we're about 1.9 percent uh, right now uh, going into uh, the first of uh, September. Of people have said, you know, hell no, I'm not getting vaccinated, and and we're in the process of posting those positions and and, and moving forward, and, and we're working through the uh, exemptions. I'd be happy, Larry, to to share the exemptions. We're trying to get them out, you know, so that we have a consistency of approach amongst our colleagues, um, and and people have sent us advice on how to tweak some of the exceptions because we don't. This is impunitive. It's not to punish people. It's public health and, and yeah. getting people uh, getting people protected. And one can understand how a patient would want to know, is it safe for me to come to a hospital? And what we've seen is we still are not seeing emergency room visits at the same level they were back prior to uh, the onset of COVID. People are still hesitant about coming into a hospital, despite the fact places like yours and Suresh's uh, have you know, have addressed it. So, Rick, I want to. Get... Uh, yeah, go ahead. Larry, I just want to build on that real quick. The other thing that you know is devastating right now, you know, is the sequela from the uh, uh, COVID shutdown last spring, and you know, we're seeing people with metastatic cancer that two years ago you would not have seen, advanced cardiac disease, because you know they, uh, you know, they they skip the screening colonoscopy and 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 the like. So we we are pushing hard, as you said to get people back and get their preventative care taken uh, care of and making sure that the hospitals uh, perceived not only is it a safe place, but perceived as a safe place was important. Yeah, and there's no question people put off some of the care and especially screening during this, and that is why many many places are seeing advanced disease more like more commonly than they were in the past. So, Rick, I want to turn it over to the legal mind now. And what are the legal implications of mandating a vaccine that is not fully approved but remains under an emergency use authorization? And can an employee hide behind that distinction? As you know, Methodist in Houston jumped out very quickly, and they were essentially the first, or at least publicly known to be the first, to mandate the vaccine. And as you know, uh, they had about 150 nurses who sued Methodist. The case was thrown out. Talk about the legal ground that they had to stand on to file that suit. So tell us a little bit about the legal implications of an EUA um, prior to full authorization. Right. You know, you're right that, that the EUA status has, has been one of the, the reasons some medical centers have held off on mandate. And they've said, you know, look, when, when we get the full use, then we'll mandate. But in fact, there's really nothing specific in in the regulations or law that makes that distinction. And you know, I wasn't surprised that the case in Houston was was thrown out. I'm sure it'll be appealed. Uh, but you know, basically, what the judge said there was that the public health imperatives uh, justified a decision by that healthcare institution to mandate it. And in fact, you know, I think it, it used to, I've read over 97%, I think, of the workforce is vaccinated. Uh, you know, I think the, there's a, there's a tradition, uh, in, 
in the United States of the police power of the state to promote public health being pretty absolute. Uh, you know, back there were there was a case back the Supreme Court in in the early part of the you know 20th century about smallpox. There have been flu uh, mandate litigation litigation around measles and mumps and you know uh, vaccinations and and all approving the power of, of the state to mandate it. Now here we're talking about a lot of private institutions too, and. You know, it's very significant. The EEOC just last month came out with something that a lot of the lawyers were waiting for that basically said private employers do have the right to protect their their employees and the workplace to mandate as long as there are uh, allowances for exemptions for religious reasons, medical, you know, women of, of childbearing age. Uh, and those exceptions are important. And now employers are are looking at that, but that there is that to mandate. So I think, you know, the other thing that's happening that I think is going to affect this, this discussion is that OSHA and the Department of Labor are now coming out with requirements around what's a safe workplace, mandating masks, mandating uh you know, protection for for employees so that they know when they come into work um, that that it's a safe environment. And there are several states that have reacted to, to that prospect by implementing legislation, Arkansas, Utah, Tennessee. But in each of those cases, uh, they've said the exception is healthcare institutions, that the healthcare institutions, even in those states that are prohibiting employers from mandating have said it's different in a healthcare institution where the patients and the employees have a right to know they're protected. And that same protection would extend to the right of an employer in a private, uh, in a private business or healthcare setting to terminate an employee who chose not to do it or despite the mandate. Is that correct? That's correct. Again, again, there's the proviso about making reasonable accommodations for uh, you know, religious medical reasons and to attempt to accommodate employees as, uh, as Kevin was saying, you know, if an employee says, look, and this is a similar set of laws in, in disability cases, uh, you know, I, I'll work in the administrative office. I just don't want to work on the floor. Uh, that kind of accommodation, if it's possible, should be made. And we're advising our clients to, you know, be very careful with these policies even if they're if they're going to mandate, uh, and even if they're not, to to uh, to be careful about exceptions and having a reasonable approach. And Suresh, have you had to make some accommodations for some of these uh, healthcare workers who either chose not to want to work um, in a frontline position because they chose not to be vaccinated? Have Have you had to make accommodations for some of these people? Not yet. As a function of not having a mandate, um, we believe and we continue to monitor this on a regular basis that our um, our safety standards still continue to prevail, that um, we are still allowing folks that have chosen not to be vaccinated to work at the bedside and we can uh, require them to follow all of our PPE guidelines 
and we continue to monitor that data on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, and we our safety standards are still working. And uh, we have had no transmission of significance amongst our employee population. We continue to screen all of our employees, and that is effectively screening out folks from the bedside. So we, we feel like our safety standards are still working, but we still, you know, um, continue the campaign because vaccination is just superior. I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, vaccination is a critical component of enhancing the safety of the environment, but we are able to, uh, during this period of time, for the small number of employees that are at the at the front lines, um, we think that our existing safety standards have been sufficient. We have Are you testing them? Are you we testing them? You're not, testing, not them. testing them. Because that goes along with your um, desire not to identify these individuals and protect their privacy. So, and so Larry, that, I would just say that's an important legal consideration, too, to not yeah. go out and discriminate on that basis. Um, and uh, on the other hand, incentives are permitted, you know, um, and in some good guidance on that as well. So uh, that that's not viewed as as uh, unfair or discriminatory. Yeah, interestingly, some of the incentives that uh, that were put out there sounded so good, and yet it really didn't change the mind right. of some of these people who resisted uh, vaccination. But you really can't discriminate, and that's why it's so important, as Suresh pointed out, that you're not individually identifying these people and targeting them. Kevin, let me just ask a, a broad question as we come toward the end here. What what lessons can you take away from the experience of dealing with a crisis like this pandemic? Um, or did you already know it all from the incredible work that you personally did in getting that pavilion up uh, off the ground? But uh, <laughs> talk about crisis. But so you, you've been through it. But tell me a little bit about what lessons you can take away from dealing with this. And then I'm going to let Suresh answer that yeah. same question. Yeah. So um, uh, a lot's been written. I'll stick to my leadership lessons, which is um, communication can never be taken for granted. And over-communication uh, is worth the investment of time. And over-communication, not just in, in quality and content, but also uh, omni-channel. So, you know, in addition to walking the halls, in addition to memos and emails, we did a lot of social media tweets. We, we dropped a lot of video uh, uh, out on the, the website so they could hear from Dean Jamison and myself directly. And, and that, that communication, you know, a daily reflection, personal reflection for me on what I was feeling, you know, it, it, it went a long way. So we're, we're trying to maintain that communication as we get into the, the vaccine, uh, discussion. It, you know, it's, it's mostly uh, through the IT system that you have to put in your, your validation. Well, if you're in housekeeping, you're not sitting in front of a, a computer to, to do it. So, much more shifting to text messaging as our preferred method of communication and, and less reliance on email. So I, I think that visible and over communication were my, my leadership lessons. And in terms of with this mandate, there is a way that you monitor this. People have to somehow put that information into a, into a system so that there is documentation that, uh, that, that an individual is vaccinated, correct? Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure, uh, Larry. And, and Rick might may, maybe could comment on this. One of the challenges we're having for the privacy reasons that were, were cited by Shares 
the employee has to consent to have us pull the it out of the Epic Medical Record. So, you know, the ninety nine percent of the employees got it at Penn, and they're looking at me like my head screwed on backwards. They're saying, "You put the needle on my arm, and now you're asking me, can I have permission to look in the record?" To so that that's been a complicating factor um, to be yeah. a healthcare deliverer. And and but at the same time, an employer and trying to maintain that that privacy. Yeah, yeah. I would just say, Kevin, that's it's absolutely right that you know the HIPAA rules are, if from an employer perspective, uh, you know, very tricky. And you now consent cures everything. And so uh, you know, you 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 probably get most who are getting vaccinated who be happy to 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 consent. Uh, those who who don't want to. Uh, that's going to be the tricky part of, yeah. of how to know that. Now, a very technical lesson we learned was when we were given the vaccine, we wish we had had them sign a consent form. Yes. So we, didn't, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't anticipate that. I mean, I, I, they signed a consent form. We wish they had signed a HIPAA release uh, a form. And, um, you know, going forward, we've been doing that. But at the time, uh, we did not. I was thinking for those who are not receiving their vaccine via pen, it seems fairly easy to, if you don't want to be vaccinated, but you want to keep your job to, to make up a card from the CDC that maybe not the real card, right? So how do you, how do you deal with fraud in this sense? Um, I, 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 I start from a perspective of I trust my employees. Could somebody get that past me? The answer would be absolutely yes. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, ho- hopefully, I, I've done enough screening before I hired them that they're they're not. But it could happen for sure. Suresh, lessons learned. I think Kevin made a powerful point about communication. I would certainly agree. That's been our experience. The other point that I would say is that uh, in these uncertain times, data does matter. You know, I think that. Um, you know, the, the confidence to follow the data, to, to make your decisions and then correct your decisions when the data doesn't agree. And, you know, I think that as we watch this, um, I think that what we do to keep our employees safe will change over time. But the fact that it will be data driven will not. And I think that that's uh, been a very powerful lesson through various different stages when we we're trying to figure out um, what was going on in our community. We had to follow the testing data. We had to follow the demographic data. Then when we were treating the illness, we had to uh, risk stratify our patients, figure out the right care models. Again, the data dro- drove us. And now in the in the vaccination uh, safety era, I think it's the same thing, it is the ability to continue to, to do this uh, Quite often, you know, folks ask me, is is mandating the vaccine off the table? And the answer is, of course, it's not off the table. It's very much on the table. But um, we would do that in a reaction to kind of what our data shows. And I, I know that as long as our environment stays safe and as long as our employees are doing well and thriving and we're not seeing transmission, we're going to stay the course in a voluntary campaign and hopefully reach our goal. But if we see uh, further challenges uh, down the road in reaching our goal, all options are on the table. And I think that you have to, to follow the data. And our goal is uh, is January 1. You know, it, it's not a forever we try. Uh, this is a we're going to give the volunteer, voluntary campaign till January 1. And then where the data takes us is is our next step. And so I think it's really important 
to have the courage to communicate to your organization um, that uh, we have a goal by December 31st of this year. And oh, what's your target? Uh, 99%. Uh, 99% is our impute. We think that 1% is the imputed religious and medical except exemption population. So if we get to 99, uh, yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll call it success. That's, that's what our current target is. Suresh made a, a really great point around the data. The other thing I'll, I'll observe, and I'm of the age where, uh, we lined up for polio and smallpox and, Everything else at the local gymnasium and the CDC said this is what you got to do, and you did it. And and the the loss of national authority uh, from the CDC, I think, was just painful for us. So when when we're, we're out like Shresh using our, our local data and some talking heads on TV, you know, saying the CDC is doing this, that, and the other thing, it it was a very confusing time for where that central authority was. So we, we try to make it more of a local authority and, and rely upon a lot of our physician scientists to carry the carry the news and, and with the belief that um, local trust was in the past 18 months easier to come by than national trust. And the other thing that's confusing, of course, is the CDC recommendations differ sometimes from the WHO recommendations. Mm-hmm. So there is some confusion there. Um, look, gentlemen, uh, this has really been incredibly um impactful and illustrative say i thank all three of you for participating in this it's really been um, really i think outstanding alvarez and marcel leadership action results